First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. Well, it is so good to be with you on this special night. Uh, This month, we have been talking about Christmas lights, Christmas lights on our Christmas trees and on our houses, and how all of those Christmas lights should point our hearts uh, to the real Christmas light, the light of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I, w- I was thinking back this week uh, and trying to remember what, what the first Christmas light was that I remember seeing uh, as a child growing up in, in my uh, parents' home, and I uh, searched my, my memories about that, and, and so many things came to mind, but, but probably the, the first Christmas light that I remember seeing uh, was one of those uh, electric candles uh, that uh, my parents would put in the window in the front rooms uh, of our house. I think you know what I'm talking about. They look, look like this. I don't know how many of y'all have seen those or maybe had those uh, in your houses. I just remember being a little boy and just lying down in, uh, in my bed and kind of looking up in the window and, and seeing that, uh, that light. And so that's, the, that's probably the first Christmas light I remember. But I wonder about you, as you, as you think back, even to your uh, childhood, uh, what, what was that, that first Christmas light you remember? Maybe it was a, a lighted uh, angel or star that uh, your parents put on the tree every year. Maybe it was a, an outside uh, light uh, that you remember. But uh, again, I, I don't know what the first Christmas light you saw was or the first Christmas light that I saw. Uh, but, but that's a question to think about. What, what was the first Christmas light that anybody saw? I mean, what was the first Christmas light of all? And I think you can make a case that the first Christmas light ever was a star. It was this star that we just read about in Matthew chapter 2. This star that the wise men saw in the east. And so today on Christmas Eve, as we hear again this story that is so familiar to many of us, the story of the Magi and the first Christmas light, uh, let's just ask the Lord that he would speak to us through this story in a fresh way here tonight. Uh, You know, when we first meet the wise men in this story, they are standing in the throne room of a king named King Herod, and they ask him a question that they traveled a long way to ask. And the question is there in verse 2. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And before we get to the star or even to the king, I think we need to take a minute and even just talk about who these wise men were themselves. Because these are kind of mysterious characters and a lot of tradition has uh, risen up over the centuries about the wise men. And and, and much of it either isn't true or or we just have no way of knowing whether it's true or not. Uh, One of those traditions is that there were three Uh, wise men. We don't actually know how many there were. We know it's plural, but we don't know how many. Uh, They say that there were three wise men because they gave three gifts, but of course the number of gifts doesn't necessarily equal the number of wise men. Uh, But in the sixth century, the, the church was so sure about that, they actually gave names to these three wise men, and the names they gave them were Balthazar, Melchior, and Caspar. That's right, Casper, the friendly ghost wise man, was one of them, and um, I don't know what their, their names were, but, but I seriously doubt that those were their names, because if they were, they would be wise enough to probably change them, because they're hideous, but, uh, but that's the, the tradition. People also say that they were kings, we even sing a Christmas carol, we three kings, but in reality, they were not kings. The word that Matthew uses here is the word magi, we get our word magician 
uh, from that, but they really weren't like our modern-day magicians either. The Magi were a noble people with a history that went back for many, many centuries. The, uh, the Magi were pr- primarily astrologers and astronomers who studied the stars, but they were also scholars. They were uh, very learned in many areas of study. They were powerful, actually, and influential figures in their culture because of how respected these men were. We don't know for sure where these particular magi uh, came from. Uh, I believe, as many do, that they came from Babylon, which was 800 miles to the east of Jerusalem. Uh, We know that these magi were astronomers and astrologers. What we don't know is why uh, they were looking for this particular star, why they were waiting for the birth of the king of the Jews, Or why they would care so much about that, that they would travel 800 miles to meet him. Uh, And really the Bible doesn't answer those questions for us. My theory, and I'm not the only one who uh, holds to this theory, is that the answer to that question goes back 600 years before the time of Christ uh, to a man named Daniel. Uh, uh, The same Daniel that we read the story of him being thrown into the lion's den and living to tell about it. This Daniel, we're told in the book of Daniel, in the Old Testament, was promoted and was placed in a position of authority over the Magi, the same word that is used here. And I have a hunch that Daniel probably left some scrolls of the Old Testament with the Magi, and that those scrolls were handed down by the Magi through all 600 years to the time of Christ. And that these men who were some of the most well-read scholars in their day and age, they would have read those scrolls. And they would have read a particular place in one of those scrolls in the book of Numbers, chapter 24. And they would have read about how a star would rise over Israel. And at the same time, a scepter, a ruler, a king would come to Israel. And so these wise men who were watching the skies, watching the stars every night, when, when this night they saw a star that they had never seen before over the land of Israel, their mind turned to that place they had read in the scroll, in the book of Numbers. And they realized the king, the king of the Jews had come. And so they packed up and they left their country and they went to meet them. Again, these were influential men, wealthy men. They probably traveled with a large uh, caravan in tow. And this was not an easy journey, to put it mildly. Again, 800 miles. Uh, I've never done it, but I can't imagine 800 miles on the back of a camel is a uh, walk in the park. Uh, it, It would have taken them at least 40 days to make it from their country to the city of Jerusalem. They came over field and fountain, over moor and mountain, as we sing, following that star. And church, uh, may we be that passionate, that intense about following and seeking Jesus this Christmas, just as the wise men were so long ago. After all those long days and long nights, the wise men finally made it, Uh, Or at least they almost made it. They went first to Jerusalem and into the palace to meet King Herod, presumably because the star that they had first seen over the land of Israel had disappeared. And so where would they go other than to the capital city of the country and into the palace? Because that's usually where kings are to be found. But as they arrived, they learned that he was not born in a palace. No, the king that they were seeking was an entirely different kind of king. 
a king who was born in the farthest place from a palace, as we sang earlier, who came and was laid in a cradle in the dirt. But the current occupant of that palace, a man named King Herod, was uh, none too pleased uh, to hear this news that a rival king had been born. And so he tries to trick uh, the wise men, and he fails. But later on, if you know the story, sadly and tragically, Herod ends up taking the life of a lot of innocent people in his attempt to snuff out this rival king. But Herod does at least answer the wise men's question. They asked, where is this king who has been born king of the Jews? And Herod himself doesn't know, but he goes and he asks his chief priests and his scribes, his Bible experts, and they know the answer right off because they've read about it in the book of Micah in the Old Testament, chapter 5, verse 2. For it says that when the Messiah would be born, he would be born in the little town of Bethlehem, a town that was six miles down the road from where they were standing. And so now the Magi, who have already traveled 800 miles, have to go another six miles if they really want to see and meet the king. And it's at this point in the story that the star that they had seen before that had disappeared suddenly reappears and leads them on their journey. The Bible says when they saw that star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And church, may we be filled with exceedingly great joy this Christmas because a savior and a king has been born for us. It goes without saying, I believe, that this star that's described in the Bible could, could certainly not have been a natural phenomenon. Normal stars do not appear and disappear and then reappear and then also move and move so low to the ground that this uh, supernatural light guided them from the city of Jerusalem six miles down the road to Bethlehem through the streets of Bethlehem and then this light sat right over the house, the very house, where Joseph and Mary and Jesus were. Uh, this also raises another part of our tradition about the wise men that isn't entirely accurate. You know, most of the time uh, when you see nativity scenes uh, and the manger scene, you see the wise men, the three wise men are standing there holding their gifts. Uh, but you know, the Bible doesn't actually say that the wise men were there that night in the, main, in the stable, uh, the same night the shepherds were there. Uh, I, I know why we put them there, because they look so good standing there holding their gifts, right? And we just, we can't resist. Uh, but, but the Bible doesn't say they came that night. They came later. By this time, Joseph and Mary were living in a house in Bethlehem. And many people believe Jesus was six months old or even a year or a year and a half old by the time that the wise men met him. But can you imagine if you were one of those wise men to come into that little house in Bethlehem that night that that light was right on top of, to come into that room and to see Jesus, the little child, sitting on his mother's lap. The Bible says the wise men were overcome and they fell down and they worshiped him. Now, I don't know what all you have planned for the next 24 hours or so. I'm sure at some point you're going to uh, be around a tree and, and, and give and receive gifts. At some point in the next 24 hours, you'll probably sit around a table and, and exchange food and share a meal with friends and family. But, but in everything that we do over the next 24 hours, let's not fail to do what the wise men did, to fall down and worship our King, our Savior, who was born for us. You know, the last thing that the wise men do in this story before they go back to their own country is probably what they are best known for. 
The Bible says that they opened up their treasures and they presented gifts uh, to the Lord. Again, later tonight or in the morning, you'll probably give gifts to those that, that you love. And when we do that, we're following in the footsteps of what the Magi did so long ago, kneeling there in the living room of Jesus' house. It's incredible to think about, though, isn't it, what they had a chance to do. Not just to give gifts in honor of Jesus, but, but literally to give a gift to Jesus. Um, you, know, you know, in our extended family, my wife Megan and I, our, our extended family has gotten uh, so large and so many kids and nephews and nieces, and it's gotten to the point that if we were to buy a gift for every single person in our family, I think we'd probably have to take out a second mortgage in order to be able to do that. And so what we have done, and I think probably many families uh, do, do this as well, is we do a name drawing, right? So you'll, you'll draw a, a little slip of paper out of the hat, and uh, you know, I don't know, one year you might get your sister to give a gift for, you might get a, a niece or, or a nephew, and, and imagine if you did that and you drew a name out of the hat and you looked at the slip of paper and the slip of paper said, Jesus. And you had to give a gift for Jesus. Well, what do you give a gift to the one who made everything, to the one who owns everything? Well, that's what the wise men did that night. And the truth is, we really don't know how much the wise men understood. We we don't know if they knew that Jesus was God in the flesh or not. But in God's providence, the three gifts that they presented to him that night could not have been better selected. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold is and has always been associated with royalty. It was a gift that said, this child is the king. The gift of frankincense. Frankincense was an incense that was only used in the temple. It, it was reserved for the worship of God and God alone, and no one else was able to use it. And so this was a gift that symbolized this child is God. And then the last gift, the gift of myrrh, was the most special of all. Because about 30 years later, There would be two other men in the Bible who would give this gift of myrrh to Jesus again. They used it to anoint his body for burial right after he had died for our sins on the cross. And so that gift, the gift of myrrh, was a gift that said this child would die for us. You know, we often talk about giving gifts to God, how we need to give gifts to God the same way that the wise men gave gifts to God. And, and certainly we should give to God. We should give him our time and our talents and our treasure. He is worthy of every gift that we could possibly offer him. And, and yet, I hope that you will hear and understand that at the heart of the message of the Bible, it's really not about the gifts that you and I give to God. It's about the gift that God has already given to us. The gift that he gave that first Christmas, the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, the eternal son of the father who took on flesh and dwelt among us, was born as a baby and grew up and lived a perfect life that you and I have not been able to live. And then to go to a cross and to die for our sins, to pay for it in full and then to rise again on the third day. That is the greatest gift, the real gift of Christmas it's Jesus. You know, I said earlier that you can make a case that the first Christmas light of all was that star that the wise men saw in the east. But, you know, really when you think about it, that, 
That star wasn't actually the first Christmas light. The star was just there to tell the wise men and to tell us that the first Christmas light had been born. The first Christmas light is is Jesus. And you know, Jesus would grow up, and in John chapter 8, verse 12, he would make this declaration about himself. He would say, I am the light of the world. He who believes in me and follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When Jesus came, the light of the world came down to earth. The Bible says that all of us are sitting in spiritual darkness until we meet Jesus, but when we meet him, he gives us his light. We have the first Christmas light living inside of us. Here's the question I want us to think about this Christmas Eve. Jesus is the first Christmas light. But is the first Christmas light first in your life this Christmas? Is Jesus, the light of the world, in first place right now in your heart and in your life? Or if you're honest, is something else in that place that really belongs to Jesus and Jesus alone? You know, not everybody in this story of the Magi was super excited that Jesus was born, right? Herod was not excited that Jesus was born. Herod was threatened that he was born. Herod tried to to push Jesus away, to, 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 to rub Jesus out, to remove him so that he could continue to be the king. And the reality is there's still many folks like that in the world today who want to to push Jesus away to remove him so that they can continue to be the king of their life and continue to make the decisions for their life and not bow their knee to King Jesus. The chief priests and the scribes in the story, they weren't excited about Jesus' coming either. I mean, they knew the right answer. They knew the Bible well enough to know the location of where he would be born. But think about it. They didn't do anything about it. They knew that He had been born six miles down the road in Bethlehem, but either they didn't believe it or they didn't care to go meet him because they weren't willing to travel six miles with the wise men to meet this newborn king. They were were apathetic about his birth. And you know, there's a lot of people who are like that today, who are, who are indifferent to Jesus, who think, well, maybe he was the savior, maybe he wasn't, but, but they don't care enough to even find out. But you know, the wise men were different, weren't they? They sought Jesus. They worshiped Jesus. They gave their treasures to Jesus. Friend, are are you seeking Jesus the way they did? Are you worshiping him? Are you giving him all the worship in your heart because you know that he deserves all of it and even more? Is the first Christmas light first in your life? This Christmas, I I pray that he is. And if he isn't, I, I, I would just pray that even tonight on this Christmas Eve, right where you are, that you would cry out to the God who made you, the God who loves you so much he gave his son Jesus to be born a savior for you and for me and to cry out to him and ask him to come into your life and to to save you and and to make you new. And if you do that, you know, in some ways you're gonna be just like the wise men, the magi, when they left their home in the east, because you're going to be at the very beginning of a long journey, a lifelong journey of following the first light of Christmas.